Welcome, everyone. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host, and you're listening to the Family and Stories podcast from Colorado Springs, where it's a little bit snowy and cold today. You know, normally I speak on this podcast with guests who have a story to tell. It's usually an exciting story of some kind that God has really changed their life. Maybe they've had an epiphany and things have just really turned around. I'm going to vary that just a little bit today. Uh, we have a very special guest, and let me just begin by saying uh, the times that we've all been going through here have not necessarily been fun, and if any of you are like me, you might even have felt moments of depression. Uh, so I've invited a guest that recently wrote an article on this subject that I thought was profound, not just on depression, but our situation. And it's a message that uh, I think all of us need to hear. It encouraged me so much. And let me just begin by saying it's not political. It's not about taking sides. It's not about pointing fingers. It's not about attempting to prophesy into the future. It's a biblical perspective that I that I know will encourage all of us. My guest is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. His name is Tony Cook. I know that many of you have heard from him, heard him speak. You know, for the last 10 years, he and his wife have been in their own ministry, traveling the country and the world, for that matter, called Tony Cook Ministries. And their message is really to strengthen churches and leaders. And previous to that, he he was in Rama Bible College for 18 years as a teacher and eventually the dean of the school. And Tony, welcome to the podcast. Well, Jim, thank you so much. And should I be calling you Grandpa Jim? Well, not necessarily. I, that That's my, okay. my handle, I guess. I mean, I'm 71, so I qualify. I've well, got six grandkids. So, Okay. Well, you introduced yourself that way. I didn't think I was going to call you that. So thanks for letting me know. I, well, I just like Jim. Well, you feel free. <laughs> to do it All anyway. right. Thank you, you sir. So you wrote an article that really touched me, and I think the title was The Anatomy of Fear. And it addressed emotions of fear and anger and so forth in relationship to what we're seeing now. So, man, just take off and and start talking to us about that very subject that you wrote about. Well, Jim, thank you. And and I appreciate you mentioning this is I'm not a partisan guy in terms of, uh, you know, being political one way or the other. I'm I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And so I'm endeavoring to exalt him, honor him, and share biblical principles that I hope will help all of us uh, in our lives. I think everybody, uh, without you know putting any kind of uh, partisan spin on this whatsoever, I think we would all agree that uh, you know we've seen a tremendous amount of unrest. You know, people being angry, people. Uh, being afraid, you know, people watching riots happening and, and there have been all different kinds, you know, and, and so what is it when we look inside of ourselves that it's going to take for believers to walk in the peace of God and for us to walk in faith and confidence and something I was pondering recently, and you mentioned the article, I began to look, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was directing me to this, the riot that took place in Acts chapter 19. Since we've had so much unrest in our country today, 
I wasn't looking for an exact parallel where, you know, everything matches and coincides. But, you know, human nature, Jim, hasn't changed all that much. People are people and, you know, same basic needs and desires and things like that. And But I thought at the time it happened in Acts chapter 19, and it happened in ancient Ephesus. And I've been to Ephesus seven different times. And so you mentioned earlier kind of the the story theme that you normally operate with. And, you know, my visits to Ephesus have been kind of those epiphanies for me, especially the first time I visited and saw there on the coast of Turkey today. It's it's actually, it used to be a coastal city with a harbor, but, you know, over a couple thousand years, that harbor's been silted in and lost. And so now the ruins of ancient Ephesus sit about four to five miles off the coast of Turkey. The first time I saw the theater there, it was massive. It is. It's, you know, everything's made out of rock there. So it's stood the test of time. And the ruins of Ephesus are absolutely fascinating. And the theater that, you know, is right in the center of the city, the ancient ruins, seated and, and would even seat today 24 to 25,000 people. Now, is this one of those theaters where somebody can stand on the stage and whisper? You can hear people. Pretty much. Yeah, the acoustics are absolutely phenomenal. And we have experimented with that. You, you probably know Rick and Denise Renner. Yes, I do. Um, one time on one of our trips, Rick and Denise were with us. And Denise got down on the stage or the platform of this ancient theater. And she's an opera singer. So she wasn't whispering. She was belting out. Uh, and a Christian song with her operatic voice. And it filled that auditorium, that theater so much. And hundreds and hundreds of people were in there. She had no sound system, but it was so, the acoustics were so powerful in there, so beautiful. So I, I began reading this thing that happened and it involved the Apostle Paul. You know, Ephesus in the in the biblical days was a city that was fully given, you know, very much to idolatry. They had temples and and uh, shrines to different deities that the uh, the emperors were sometimes worshipped as well. And there was a particular guy named Demetrius, and he had a I guess today we'd call it a large company, and they made these little statues, these little shrines to the Greek goddess uh, Artemis. And some translations will use the Roman name of Diana, but it's the same, depending on your translation, will either be Artemis or Diana, depending on whether the Greek or Roman name is used, same deity. And uh, his business was really hit hard, not by a coronavirus shutdown. His business was hit hard because Paul was so effective in preaching the gospel. And so many people in this city got born again, really in the whole region. So many people got born again that people quit buying the silver shrines that he made. And so he felt threatened. So what he did in Acts chapter 19, it says that uh, Demetrius had this large business and he had many employees. And he called them together, it says, and he said, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Acts 19.25, gentlemen, you know that our wealth 
comes from this business. And then, so he's talking about their wealth. He was afraid of losing money. And so he talks to them about how Paul, through preaching the gospel, has basically threatened to undermine their entire business. And he goes on in verse 27, he says, of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the whole province of Asia and around the world will be robbed of her prestige. And so that was the root of everybody getting so angry and stirring up the mob in the city. And so, Jim, there are four things that they were afraid of losing. They were afraid of the loss of wealth, respect, influence, and prestige. You started with saying that human nature has never changed. There it is. There it is right there. You know, I want it. I want mine. You know, nobody better mess with mine. You know, and understandably, people, they don't want to get robbed and stolen from. But at the same time, we have to guard our hearts from covetousness and envy and things like that. And so when uh, Demetrius shared this with all his employees, and the Bible says he also said it to people of similar trades. You know, there were other deities, other temples in that particular city. And, And in verse 28, it says, at this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And here's the thing, Jim, if your God is a false God, you're always in danger of losing it because the whether it's money or whatever, the only thing that's really eternal is the word of God and his working in our life. You know, all the things of our prestige, our reputation, our egos, our, our material possessions, they're not necessarily idolatrous to us, uh, but they can become idolatrous to us. And we've all heard this saying, God doesn't mind us having money. He just doesn't want money having us. You know, he doesn't want us to be controlled by greed or envy or lust. So this is what we see building in Ephesus. And so we're talking about, you know, how do these things turn into an uproar? And it started with these guys that were afraid. And because of fear, they became angry. And then Acts 19.29 says, soon the whole city was filled with confusion. It was just pandemonium. It was a, it turned into a mob. And it says, everyone rushed to the amphitheater and they dragged along two of Paul's traveling companions. And, and verse 32, Jim, is so fascinating to me. It says, inside, meaning inside this theater. And, and it, remember, it seated, you know, maybe upwards of 20,000, may have been a little bit smaller in Paul's day, but it was still a massive theater. It says inside the people were all shouting some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. Now, this line is so fascinating. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. That That is an amazing, amazing comment, especially, you know, some of these people that have gone out and interviewed people within these these rioting crowds or these movements, they're just there. They're not even sure what they're representing. I mean, it's really amazing that we see that exactly. right in Scripture. 
Yeah. And you've got some hardcore instigator type individuals, but then you get a lot of other people. And I think, Jim, we've got a lot of this in our country today. There are people who are just borrowing other people's anger. They're borrowing other people's being offended. They don't necessarily have any deep core values in this. They haven't really thought through things deeply and thoroughly. They're just joining the mob. They're just mad because everybody else is mad. So they're in there in this theater. And what's amazing is that the Bible says in Acts 19.30 that Paul wanted to go into that theater, but the believers wouldn't let him. And I can just see, Jim, I'm sure you can imagine this too. You know, Paul, if, if when you visit Ephesus, if there were people inside that theater shouting, that noise was not staying inside that theater. People could have heard that pretty good distance away. And and Paul, to him, you know, Paul always loved a crowd. Um, this was a chance for, for Paul to share the gospel. You know, Paul wanted to go in there. And I can just imagine his his fellow disciples forcibly restraining him and keeping him from going into that theater. They would have killed him. Those people were, they were in a mob. They were in a frenzy. And later in Jerusalem, Paul experienced being in a frenzied mob. And they almost killed him in Jerusalem. You know, just a few chapters later, they were about to tear him to pieces. So, and it even says in verse 31, some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. They prevailed upon Paul. Um, his friends probably physically restrained him, if I'm reading this right. Uh, government officials, and Jim, isn't this fascinating? Government officials who were his friends urged Paul not to go in. See, Paul had friends at all levels. You know, Paul was a friend of the lowest of the socioeconomic rung but he had friends in very high places as well. And and we get every indication from here uh, that Paul cooperated with this. You know, maybe they were physically dragging him away and he didn't have any choice. Paul did not go in. In that article, I made this point. We don't have to attend every riot that we're invited to. One of the things that we see here, I, I'm reminded too of Acts chapter 17, it talks about the people that hated Paul. It, this was in Thessalonica. And it says they went down, I think, to the harbor. And the King James, I don't remember how the newer translations read, but it says they hired some men of the baser sort to, to stir up a riot and attack Paul. So there have always been people who are pawns. Um you There's know, nothing other, new under the sun. <laughs> nothing new at all. People will get stirred up. And some people are, they, they legitimately, passionately own the cause and are willing to go and destroy and tear things down and burn things and loot and, you know, attack people, attack others. But other people are just, um, it's not so much a cause issue as they just get caught up in the frenzy of it. And you and I as believers, Jim, and the people listening, you know, we have a responsibility to be full of the Spirit of God, 
to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. You know, there may be some causes that we embrace, but our number one cause should be to love one another, to fulfill the great commandment and to fulfill the great commission. And so um, I, I came away from that story with four main lessons. Number one, from that story in Acts 19 and really from all of human history is that some people crave power so much that they will do, and that includes wealth and prestige and things like that. They'll do anything to possess it. Um, as a Christian, I'm to use whatever influence God graces me to have, not for my own um, exaltation or to control others. I'm to use whatever influence I have to serve other people, not to dominate them. And I assure you that Demetrius's motives, you know, were it was all self-protection. You know, we're going to protect our money, our power, our control whatsoever. I'm thinking of the one quote you had in that article that really, I, I loved it. It said, it's from Benjamin Franklin, and it says, Two passions have powerful influence on the affairs of men, the love of power and the love of money. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin, he, he observed, you know, that's just something you can observe. You know, the Bible teaches it, which is revelation. But that's an that's a truth that we can learn by observation too, just by watching human nature. The the second thing I learned from this thing is that fear, or we, we might even say panic, because Jim, some people right now in our nation are panicking, and 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 some people are beyond anger; they're into rage. Uh, they are powerful mode tools that motivate people to act in ways they would not normally act. And as a Christian. I'm called to be Christ-like. I'm not called to be in a frenzy or in a rage or in a panic. Uh, we're called to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what's motivating me? From the first point, am I being motivated by greed and lust and envy and covetousness? And secondly, from the second point, am I being motivated by fear or panic? Or am I being motivated by anger or rage? You know, sometimes we have to do a heart check, an attitude check, you know, see what's happening. The third thing, Jim, that I see here is is the prevalence. And, and I hope the people listening will go back and read Acts 19. Just catch this, go through it and look for these themes. But look how much confusion is mentioned, chaos um, just people beside themselves caught up in a frenzy. And if we ever find that happening in our life, again, we need to back up. We need to, uh, if that's happening, we are in the flesh and we need to get out of the flesh and into the spirit. I wrote in one of my books years ago, and I'm probably not going to quote it exactly right here, but I am not going to allow, this is kind of a personal resolution, I am not going to allow the carnality in someone else to bring out the carnality in me. I'm not going to allow someone else's sinfulness to bring out sinfulness in my life. I'm not going to allow immaturity in someone else's life to cause me to begin to act immaturely. 
I'm going to walk in love, in the fruit of the Spirit, in the peace of God, whether anyone else does or not. I'm not going to be motivated by fear. I'm not going to be motivated by anger. Now, that doesn't mean that anger is 100% wrong. Sometimes it's not. Jesus got angry. But the Bible says in Ephesians 4, Paul said, in your anger, do not sin. You know, when we see injustice, when we see things that are wrong, yeah, it's human to get angry. But but we have to ask ourselves, at what point does my anger really not accomplish anything other than giving me ulcers? You know, if I don't, if I don't uh, deal constructively with anger, because sometimes, you know, people get angry and they do something constructive and it's good. But Paul said, don't, don't, he said, be angry, but don't sin. So I don't want to give people the impression that they'll never feel anger because we do at times. Here's another side of that that I want you to speak to. In the midst of all of this, especially if you watch much news, which I have completely stopped watching, uh, it's very easy if you're not going to get in the fight to become a little bit depressed, discouraged, and hopeless. Address that a little bit. Jim, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, myself included, who have cut back significantly on news consumption. And, you know, there's this deal that we want to think, well, the people that agree with me, the people that like the policies I like and the candidates I like, they tell the truth 100% of the time. And the other side, they lie 100% of the time. Well, the truth of the matter is there are people who lie all over the spectrum. (laughs) That's exactly right. There are people at extremes. You know, and uh, but but honestly, you know, people are biased. You know, sometimes people who communicate, boy, they've got such an agenda. You know, that can be frustrating and angering. But we have to keep in mind that, you know, one time in the Old Testament, David was frustrated. and He said, you know, in my haste, I said, all men are liars. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh I, I think David realized, you know, he kind of backed away from that statement because, you know, some people tell the truth sometimes. But, boy, we live in an age of deception and misinformation and things like that. And so we really do have to be careful about what we feed on. And if something's just continually agitating us and upsetting us, turn that thing off. Spend some time in the Bible, you know, spend some time with some great worship music. Um, you know, we can't feed on that. But but when we get in the flesh because somebody else is in the flesh, that doesn't accomplish anything. Somebody once said, and, and I don't mean this could sound really insulting, and I don't I mean it in good humor, not to be insulting, but somebody once said, Don't don't wrestle in the mud with a pig. You <laughs> both get you both get filthy and the pig loves it. <laughs> That's exactly right. And another person said, you might be able to whip a skunk in a fight, but you might not want to. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so these are, these are some pretty good things. We have to, you know, Paul talked about, and, and, and Solomon even in the book of Proverbs talked about, guard your heart with all diligence. Right. And, you know, Paul addressed some similar things about be anxious for nothing. And so if something is just a source of, of, uh, irritation and, agitation, you know, it it is wise to back away from that. Well, you know, our 24-7 news now, for them, and and I don't mean to demean anybody, but 
the news media is about ratings and money and profitability and all of those kinds of things. And so they have to create a story. Even the news media that you might like is still in the business of creating stories and creating controversy and conflict. That's what they do. Exactly. Yeah. And the agendas, you know, if, if folks are attentive, you know, the agendas are pretty obvious. And, um, so yeah, we just, we really do have to watch out. And, and actually that kind of brings me to my fourth point. There, there's two words that are pretty important here. And one is the word engage and the other is the word disengage. Paul wanted to engage. He wanted to go into that theater. I'm sure he had great motives. I'm sure he had no other motive than to go in and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that was not the right time for him to go in there. Um, do you know Paul at other times and Jesus, um, they left cities at certain times. And Jesus said, you know, there are times to shake the dust off of your feet. You know, we are not going to argue other people into seeing things from our political perspective. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, intellectually, you can't convince somebody in or out of anything. It, it is a spiritual change that has to take place. Very much. And, 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 and I have to look at my job. Is my job, am I here on this earth to promote a political agenda, or am I here on earth to preach the gospel? And I believe I'm here to preach the gospel. Now, Consistent with the gospel are certain moral values, certain ethical principles, and those are going to come out as well. You know, to just make it our mission to fight with people about political things, I don't see it turning out real fruitfully. No, I I certainly don't. And one of the things that I've seen happening recently, especially on YouTube and places like that, are all of these prophetic voices. I mean, they're just popping up everywhere. And of course, people relate that to the last days and so forth. So talk a little bit about one of the articles you wrote on predictive prophecy. Well, I will. Um, You know, Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, despise not prophesying. He said, don't quench the spirit, despise not prophesying, judge all things, hold fast that which is good. The reason, why would Paul have to say despise not prophesying? unless there was some kind of abuse happening. We don't know if people were just obsessed with prophesying, if people prophesied nonstop, but there was something in that church that Paul felt he had to tell people, don't despise, don't hate prophesying. We probably need to hear that again today because there's a temptation right now to despise prophesying because of exactly, Jim, what you described. Everybody's prophesying, and they're all trying to predict the future, and they're all saying this is going to happen, and a whole bunch of it's been totally wrong. Um, it's a good thing we don't live in the Old Testament when people could get stoned, although I have heard, and, and I think some of the people that have prophesied, Jim, I'm sure are good people who love God And, you know, probably what's happened in most of the cases is that because they wanted something to happen so badly, maybe they couldn't imagine life going if if it went the other direction. So they've made these prophecies. But but in the Bible, uh, you know, Jeremiah was the only prophet who said, you know what, you're going to have some problems up ahead and it's going to last a while. 
uh, all the other prophets were saying, no, this captivity is not going to last very long. And, and, you know, they were saying what everybody wanted to hear, you know, uh, the captivity is going to end shortly. Everybody will be coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah said, no, uh, God says you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And boy, they hated Jeremiah because he did not prophesy what they wanted to hear. I think there's a, a tendency, and I know I know of three, you know, nationally known individuals who who tend to operate a lot prophetically who have apologized and said, you know, they regretted, they were wrong, they misled, uh, wasn't intentional. And I know one of them said he was getting death threats for apologizing because people said, you know, they were so rabid that, no, we must hold on to our faith, that things are going to turn out the way we want them to. And, and you're com- and they, he got, he said he got multiple death threats because he, he apologized for prophesying what turned out not to be true. So Jim, I think it, a large part of it goes back to, we need to really do a heart check and find out why are we so obsessed with prophetic words? Why aren't we far more interested in Bible words? If there's an occasional prophecy, great, but but we're going to judge it and we're not going to just believe it just because somebody says it. Um, you know, Brother Hagen said, I trained under Brother Hagen and worked with him for 18 and a half years. He said that God's not going to reveal uh, the winner of a political race or a horse race. He said that it's in his book, um, uh, seven steps to judging prophecy and the gift of prophecy, you know, so he really felt as a general rule, if you look at the Bible, the New Testament now, there's really not much emphasis on predictive prophecy. Um, you have Agabus who predicts a famine that is coming uh, in a particular region. And so the church was able to respond and send resources to that area. Uh, but you don't find a lot of predictive prophecy in the New Testament. The majority of prophecy was what we call simple prophecy, which is, you. I think you quoted maybe before we started talking uh, on live, uh, that prophecy really is to edify, to exhort, and comfort. It's not primarily designed to predict the future. It could happen. And it might happen on occasion, but it's not going to be happening every day. It didn't happen every day in the New Testament. We shouldn't be expecting it to happen every day. We live by faith. We live by what's in the written word of God. And I think if people were grounded in the word of God, the Bible, uh, which is infallible, we wouldn't have to worry as much about a bunch of fake prophecies that are obviously very fallible. And again, people can be good-hearted people. They can have something on their heart that, boy, they just passionately desire it so much that they think, well, boy, I feel that so intensely. Maybe God's told me that. And it really was just more of something that they wished in their own heart. You know, when you think about something, and and I don't mean to demean or take away from its value. But when you look at something like the term of a single president, whether it's one term or two terms, in relationship to history, not only American history, but biblical history, it's not even the blink of an eye. It has so little Mm -hmm. to do with what God is doing for all time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to minimize anything. And I know people have concerns, but I think every election I've 
witnessed in, you know, I'm 60, about to turn 62 years old. Seems like every election they say, this is the most important election in the history of the country. Every election is, is important. And I'm not saying they're not, but in the eternal scope of things, and even in the historical scope of things, people come and people go, parties come and parties go. In the ultimate eternal sense, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Exactly and I'm not right. saying, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned for our nation, that we shouldn't pray for our nation. We shouldn't try to instill godly values. Uh, all those things are very, very important. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to stay my calling and my assignment. I believe is to say primarily focused on the church and its mission, the great commission, the great commandment. There were prophets in the Old Testament. For example, Elijah, he really went after the the politicians, but Elisha did not. Uh, John the Baptist kind of went after the politic Herod, but Jesus did not. So it is possible that some people have differing assignments, and if if some people are called to really focus on certain things that are that direction, so be it. Um, but I will say Elijah thought he was going to die and John the Baptist lost his head, uh, when they focused that direction. So I think people need to be willing to pay the price, but Elisha did not focus on, you know, any kind of attacks on the government. Uh, Jesus really, I think one time he said, you know, oh, go tell that Fox, you know, a statement about Herod, but Jesus was much more concerned about uh, religious corruption than he was about political corruption. Well, didn't Jesus say, if uh, if my kingdom was of this world, my people would come and fight for me? He did, yeah. He told Peter to put up the sword, and he said, if you live by that, you're going to die by that. So, but I just know I've personally been staying away from a lot of the news and so forth because I want to enjoy life. I want to, I, I want to be happy and full of joy, and that comes from the Word of God in my family and other people like that. And so I, I'm just I'm getting to the point where I'm refusing to enter into that kind of uh, uh, I don't know exactly what you call it, but those kinds of things that actually bring me down. And and so much of the news is fear based. Years ago, when I was young, and I thought, well, you know, it might be good to invest some money for the future, and and so I went to a local community college and took a few courses on investing. The guy who was teaching on investing, talking about the stock market and mutual funds and things like that, he said, uh, there are two things that drive the market, uh, fear and greed. He said, if you're going to be a wise investor, you can't be motivated by fear and you can't be motivated by greed. He said, those two things will make you a bad investor because you'll always be operating out of an emotional impulse. You'll always be having a knee-jerk reaction. You know, that's what this guy said about investing in mutual funds and all that. But I I pulled from that. That just applies to life in general. It sure does. If, if we can avoid being driven through life by not just fear and greed, but anger things that rob us of our peace. You know, Jim, there's so many people in our country today, and I'm I'm referring specifically to believers who are really living in panic. You know, they've heard certain the news reports and that type of thing, and and they have become convinced, you know, that the world is about to end. And there's this thing, I, I've heard it called this before, but 
catastrophic thinking, always painting the worst case scenario in people's minds and how damaging that is to our spiritual health, our emotional health, and even our physical health. If people can learn to handle disappointment, okay, yeah, I'm disappointed. I wish things would have worked out different. This can be about anything, not just a political race. You know, I'm disappointed. I I was hoping it would have turned out another way, but God is still God. Jesus is still Lord. The Bible is still true. All of the promises of God are still true. I have a covenant with God According to 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm not going to trust in uncertain riches, as Paul admonished Timothy to talk to the rich about. But he said, but God is the one who's given us all things to enjoy. And Jim, that includes your grandkids. And that includes, you know, the beautiful Colorado fresh air. And if people are in such um, a frenzy and a, a turmoil and a tailspin, that they're no longer enjoying life, then they've bought into, you know, they're like a dog kind of chasing its own tail. And the devil's just standing back laughing at a lot of Christians because, you know, we've gotten so caught up in the world, the world system, what's going on in the world, the fear projections, the catastrophic projections, that we've lost the ability to enjoy our lives, our relationships, our day-to-day existence, Honestly, Jim, this is a time, and I don't say this to put anybody down because we can all face struggles. You know, we probably all have, but this is a time to really ask the question, do I really trust God? If I really trust God, then I'm not going to attend every riot that I'm invited to. We could go on forever on this, but we got to bring it to a close. I want to thank you so much, Tony, for being here. But tell people how they can get a hold of you and get some of these articles and things that we're talking about today. Where can they get information about you and your ministry? Pastor Jim, thank you so much. Um, we have a website, and it's it's just my name. I, I wish I had some fancy ministry name. I've just never been that creative. So um, uh, it's just TonyCook.org. T-O-N-Y-C-O-O-K-E. We have an N-E on the end of Cook. Um, TonyCook.org. And you can go there. Um, we list all of our articles. As a matter of fact, both of these articles that we've been talking about on predictive prophecy and uh, the fear and the anger and the riot stuff, they're all on our homepage right now. Um, we also have a bookstore. I've got a dozen books that are out that are available, and we have some audio resources available as well. So we would invite anybody to go to TonyCook.org and check out the website. Well, you know, The Anatomy of Fear and Anger would make a great title for another book, just just in case. It could. It absolutely (laughs) could. Thank you. That would be a really good subject to to write a book on, I think. So thank, thank you. you again for being here, Tony. We appreciate it so much. By the way, are there any new book that coming out soon? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on one right now called The End of Spectator Church. And it's a book about, you know, to put it in theological terms, it's really about the priesthood of the believer, uh, that every believer has access to God and then responsibilities in the kingdom. But uh, the title is called The End of Spectator Church. Can't remember the subtitle. That's terrible. But it's something about, you know, every believer being activated and equipped to, you know, really 
function here in the earth as God's ambassador and on God's behalf. Well, mark me down for one of those. I'll take it. (laughs) All right. Sounds great. That would be wonderful. So all of you who are listening, thank you so much for listening today. And uh, if you have a story, it might be better than you think. So be sure and let me know. You can reach me at uh, mygrandpajimmy.com or uh, mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com for email. So thank you again for listening. If you enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe to them. And Tony, thanks again for being here today. Jim, blessings. Thank you. 